This is the Indie Drills Podcast, and I'm your host, Chad Wilson. I'm also the owner of All Eyes DB Camp and author of 101 DB Tips. In this podcast, we're going to be talking about any and everything having to do with defensive back play. From technique to current events, we'll cover it all just like the guys in the back half blanket the wide receivers. I have over 20 years playing and coaching and training in this game, and I'm ready to use all of that experience to bring you the best experience in the Indie Drills podcast. So let's go. Welcome, Defenders, to the Indie Drills Podcast. It's a DB podcast, and we are here. Took a week off. I'm back again, and we're going to get into some secondary talk here on this show. If it's your first time here, go ahead and hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you are using to stream this right now, whether that's Apple, that's Spotify, that's Anchor, that's whatever you are using. Go ahead and hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on the next show that's coming your way. But I'm loving doing this. It's DB Podcast, like I said. Get to talk about the secondary coverage, uh, covering technique, all that good stuff here. And uh, I appreciate all you guys that tune in each and every week. If you want to reach out to the show, you can do so via email, cwilson at alleyesdbcamp.com, cwilson at alleyesdbcamp.com. If you have a question, or comment about anything that I talk about on the podcast today. Also, you guys can send in your questions weekly. I take one of those and um, I read one of the questions on air each week and try to answer it to the best of my ability and help you guys out there. Right now in high school, football season is getting to the other side of the midway point and uh, some really key and important games are coming up for you no matter where you are in this part uh, in this country. Um, you know, you're, you're heading into those district games and they are key in uh, getting you to your playoffs and to getting you to all of the goals that you set heading out into the season. I hope things are working out for you. If they're not, there's still, the thing is, there's still time for you to fix things and uh, turn some things around, especially in the back half of your defense. Still time for you to turn those things around. And you may pick up a thing or two listening to this show today. It may be something key for you that turns things around for you, turns the season around, play better defense, because you know defense wins championships. All right, some things I want to get into today. Pass interference in the NFL. I've been I've been on this of late. I want to talk about that as well as are the shadow days gone for cornerbacks also in the NFL? Are the shadow days gone? We'll talk a little bit about that. And then also, how would I stop the high-flying Dolphins passing attack? What would I do there? I have an answer on that. Plus, uh, a user question. I shouldn't say user. Listener question about playing cover three and cover one and uh, some technique there. And our main topic today on the show is five skills that will make you an all-American defensive back. These things have are tried and true, and they've withstood the test of time. Talk about what those things are on today's show as our main topic coming up at the bottom of the show. All right, let me get into the pass interference in the NFL. Hey, listen, I get it. I understand what's going on with the NFL. It's a growing business. They want to continue to expand their audience. And to do so, uh, it's not in the best interest of that agenda to have games be 14 to 10 or 10 to 7 or 17 to 14, or just low scoring in general. On top of that, folks who were fans, um, perhaps before the expansion of, you know, the audience base, are also now playing fantasy sports, and we know what fantasy sports, uh, fantasy football is geared towards. It's geared towards offense, um, and so, you know, that's the lean that the fans have, and the fans make the league go around. They pay for the tickets to get into the games. They pay for the packages to watch them at home. They pay for the jerseys. They pay for all the merchandise. They watch all the commercials. They do all of that. I understand that. And, you know, I get that the NFL is continuing to grow. At some point, you know, how far are you willing to go to grow your game? You know, you're going to reach a saturation point at, at, at a certain point. And, if the idea is that you want to continue your growing your base and your audience each and every year, like how far are you willing to do that? 
And uh, I'm saying this because I'm watching games each and every week. And this didn't just pop up this year, but it's just maybe it's years of it stacking on top of me. Maybe I have a bias. Of course, I have a bias. But, you know, things have just really gone, I think, in my opinion, too far towards the offensive side. And what it's doing is even when pass interference is not called in the NFL, you have players playing differently because of the threat of pass interference. Imagine being 40 or 50 yards down the field and you're potentially touch a player and you know, I didn't really affect this guy because have we seen the athleticism, and the size of some of these guys playing? You know, guys like uh, a DK Metcalf or a Justin Jefferson. These guys are sturdily built. It's going to take a lot to knock them off. So merely touching them should not draw a pass interference call. And for, you know, the casual fan that might be listening to this, and I don't know how many casual fans we have listening to this. If you are, you're welcome here. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm happy that you're checking into uh, a DB podcast like this, maybe to just pick up some tips and helps you as you're watching the game. I, I really appreciate that. And I don't have a problem with casual fans so long as they're willing to listen more than they, they speak. It's when casual fans start to get really um, aggressive and you know, I want to be careful of the words that I use here. When they get really um, strong in their opinions, when they don't really have all the facts and don't really know what's going on is when I have a problem. But, you know, fans just think anytime a player is touched, for, you know, beyond five yards, there should be a penalty. You know, I, we know that that's a rule. But in all honesty, do you really want to watch a football game where – a player is not a cornerbacks or, or safeties or defensive backs. Anyone in coverage on a wide receiver is not allowed to touch them in any way, shape, or form once they get down the field. You realize that after five yards, they're in a full-speed sprint, and they will change direction. And if you guys out there think that a defensive back, any defensive back, I don't care who you are, pick your top guy. And if you have a favorite team, you've got a cornerback on your team that you need to cover. Um is going to be able to change direction or be able to defend the ball 40, 50, 60 yards downfield without touching that receiver, you're mistaken. There's just no way that that's going to happen. It's not physically possible. So the NFL is giving way, I think, more and more to fans. We're seeing more and more pass interference penalties. And, you know, it ends up being a judgment call. Here's where I have the problem, because I see the same thing, by and large, on Saturdays as well. Um, obviously, more pass interference calls in the, uh, in the NFL. The problem with that pass interference call in the NFL is that it's a spot foul. So one of the biggest plays that I continue to see in any coach's playbook is for the quarterback to just chuck the ball downfield and get that penalty and just pick up, a, in my opinion, a free 45, 50, 60 yards just by throwing the ball downfield because in the quarterback's mind, 50-50 chance, there's some contact there and a flag's going to be thrown. And you're putting the officials and the integrity of the game at risk when you have a penalty like that because it's far too punitive. I can't think of anything else in any sport that's as punitive as pass interference is in the NFL. In the NBA, there's a flagrant foul, so you get a you get a foul shot, you get a you know you get a, you get free throws. In a basketball game that has ninety to eighty to ninety to hundred points scored by each side, just by the rules of the game, a couple of free throws is not going to change, you know, the outcome of a game unless it happens in a really key moment. And there's some really strict rules around a flagrant foul. In the NFL, though, a toss from midfield to near the goal line or in the end zone where pass interference is called, putting the ball at the one-yard line, which, you know, there's a really high percentage that the team's going to score, get an extra point, and there's seven points scored. Seven. In a game that's going to be in the 30s somewhere, you can see the big difference between two points in a, you know, a 95 to 92 basketball game as opposed to seven points in a 35 to 31 football game. 
So I would I would recommend to the NFL either loosen up how you call pass interference, which I just don't think is going to happen, or let's get pass interference back to a 15-yard penalty in the NFL. 15-yard penalty, let's stop making it a spot foul because it's getting too easy for quarterbacks and wide receivers in this league. Now, I'm an older guy, so I, you know, grew up, saw football at the tail end of the 70s, all throughout the 80s and the 90s. And listen, I won't, I don't want to take anything away from today's receivers and quarterbacks. They're gifted. They're certainly talented. The arm talent from a Patrick Mahomes and a Josh Allen and an Aaron Rodgers is uh, above most of what we saw in those days. You know, save a John Elway or a Dan Marino or something like that. I don't know if, you know, anyone has come back to matching that. But uh, what wide receivers had to go through in those eras that I speak of pales in comparison to what goes on now. The Jerry Rices and the Michael Irvins of the world going across the middle where anything could happen to you there. Um, there was more contact allowed at the line of scrimmage maybe even down the field. There's more physicality involved in that. Where quarterbacks would, you know, be rather hesitant to throw certain balls to certain areas of the field, depending on who was out there. A Ray Lewis or, a, you know, a Ronnie Lott or a Chuck Cecil or anyone like that. Now, you'd have to look that last name up. But hard-hitting safeties out there that would knock your block off. Um... It has just totally changed the game and skewed things so much towards those offensive players that it's just, uh, wh what's the end? You know, where do we end that thing? So I would love to see the NFL turn this thing back to a 15-yard penalty and stop making it a spot foul. I, I, who's, who's with me on that? I'd love to hear from you guys on that one. And again, you can email the show, cwilson at alleyesdbcamp.com. This kind of leads... to my next topic here and I want to know are the shadow days gone yes teams are going to still continue to do the shadowing they're going to try and have a defensive back follow a wide receiver around you know sometimes I just think that's done for the you know marketing of a game it's you know not always the smartest strategy I think less and less so considering what I just spoke about and the fact that I'm starting to see it affect the way certain players play uh, and, and I don't know if that's the most advantageous thing for people to do. You know, you cannot play anymore like Darrell Revis did, who's very physical and press man and, um, would put hands on guys sometimes down the field and you're getting flagged for those things now. And Darrell Revis was great. There's no taking that away. Um, I think perhaps the second best press corner that there is out there. By the way, I did come up. I do have an article up on alleyesdbcamp.com right now. The top five press man corners of all time. I think you guys should check that one out. So head over to alleyesdbcamp.com and check that out. Uh, it's my latest article up on the, on the blog. But if you're not able to play that way, are you, you know, what is your game plan? If you're having a corner follow a wide receiver around, if you're having a cornerback follow a top wide receiver around, if you have a top cornerback following a top wide receiver around, things are so skewed now towards the offense in that type of one-on-one -on -one situation. I'm just not even sure if that's the best thing to do. I am a fan of uh, what Bill Belichick has done many times in his career is take the second corner, put him on the top guy with safety help, brackets and caps over the top, of that wide receiver, and then you put your best corner on the team's second wide receiver. You know, I'm in favor of that, you know, um, no matter who I have. Just a better strategy. Uh, I feel like the shadow thing, if you're doing it now, it's, a, it's an ego thing, and your cornerback better survive uh, that type of matchup now between the penalties called and all of the other advantages that you have. I didn't even really talk about, you know, how you can't hit that quarterback. You hit him low, penalty, hit him high, penalty. Imagine locking a receiver down on third down, you know, batting a ball away or having such tight coverage the quarterback threw the ball away, but then you hear the drive has now been extended 
because of a roughing the passer penalty where a guy came in with his hands up to block the throw and the follow through by the quarterback combined with the momentum of the defense of the defensive lineman coming towards him ends up with his forearm or his hand hitting the quarterback in the head not a blatant blow not um you know, an intentional blow to the head just through the carry through of men playing football gets hit in the head. The drive is extended. So now in your fatigued state, you got to go cover this guy three, four more times in a shadow situation. Just too many things that could go wrong. I personally think we're probably going to see less and less of that going around. And, you know, the fans are going to say, well, there's just no more Revises anymore. Or if they find a cornerback in that situation shadowing a guy and he doesn't have the greatest day uh they're gonna want to say that the guy sucks he's overrated etc etc no more and more we are doing things in this game to please you so that you can get your fantasy points so that your wide receiver that you have in this matchup today can get his 40 points or whatever you know however your league works and you could beat a guy and i understand it and i get it Some of these games wouldn't get watched were it not for so much fantasy action with a particular player or two in the matchup. But where do we draw the line? And then now what do coaches do? I am noticing this. There's a lot of there's too much loose coverage in the NFL right now. There's too much of a marriage and we have fallen in love with quarters coverage where we're playing way off on guys and just trying to keep things in front of us and hope that our pass rush is good enough to get the quarterback down, disturbed, and he throws a ball deep and, and you know, a play, is, a play is made. We're just too far off of receivers. So I get, I get it. It almost doesn't jive with what I just said. But, yes, I understand they have these rules, but that should not drive us to the point where, you know, as defensive coordinators, we are, we've just given up on trying to be aggressive. I'm not of that ilk. That's not, you know, how I was as a player. Certainly was not as that as a coach, defensive coordinator. Within the confines of the rules, and sometimes I'd play around with it and be willing to take a couple penalties here or there just to establish our dominance. You still got to get up on guys. And what I'm seeing in the league is a whole lot of quarters and loose coverage and giving up balls in front of them, you know, based on calls. Not necessarily how the player is playing. They just want to keep everything in front of them and not give up the explosive plays. And, you know, these offenses nowadays will gladly take what you're giving them. And as Hank Stram would say, matriculating the ball down the field. You see offenses like San Francisco and Miami's willing to take those short throws. It's really um, a throwback to the San Francisco 49ers, Bill Walsh, San Francisco 49er days, well, they will throw that short pass and look for the run afterwards. And if we're going to play that far off because we don't want to give up an explosive play, i.e. a you know, takeoff route or a post route, these guys will take slants now and with all that space go break tackles and run for 30, 40 yards. So I would just love to see more and more of the defenses in the NFL. And if this is true for you in the high school or your college level, um, you know, listen to what I'm saying here is at all times try to be physical with that even if you're a guy you know playing zone coverages you want to reroute guys want to get your hands on the receivers because if you let them run the routes the way they are drawn up in the playbook you're going to get beat maybe you do some good things against the lower level teams on your play uh, and your and your schedule but when you get to the real football where they have a real quarterback you're going to get picked to pieces if you decide you want to play off on everything and hope you get a pass rush be physical where that is up pressing and man or you know you're off in some of your zones and you know I I rerouted in cover 3 when I was coaching that slot was getting rerouted every time he came off the ball whether we're in man or zone he was going to either have to stop his feet or he was going to have to move off of that line he was running on and that was deliberate get hands on that guy disturb him and take him out of his flow I do not want a guy running around and looking like he did in all of his off-season drills he did in shorts running around cones. We're not allowing that today. We're moving you off the spot. We're putting hands on you. We're being physical while the quarterback has the ball, and then we're going to hit you when you get the ball. 
not helmet to helmet, but we're going to put a shoulder on you and guys are going to hit you and fall on you. This is not a beauty pageant. This is not some kitty party. So I'm seeing, I think, more of that. And I'd love to see some stats on it. I think I might go to uh, match quarters and just kind of check on some numbers there to see if what I'm seeing is backed up by actual research. They do a good job at, at match quarters um, to see if there's more cover three and four being called. Because when I'm watching games, and I will let you guys know I watch every NFL game each, uh, each week. I'm happy to have that NFL package to do that. And I watch a portion of each game and a whole lot of full games. And that is a lot of what I'm seeing. Really loose coverage and just trying to keep everything in front of us. Great for the fans because all the yards and points get piled up. But I just don't, as a defender, and that's who we're talking to and about here, I don't love it. And that leads to the next thing. The Miami Dolphins offense has looked completely unstoppable this year, with the exception of when they ran into um, a divisional opponent in the Buffalo Bills who get to see it more than everyone else. What they're doing is really, really impressive. Sure, I love defense, but I was also an offensive coach at one point. Played both sides uh, of the ball in, in, in high school, and I just love football in general. I am one of the rare, I think, defensive back coaches that really love trench play, really love watching offensive linemen do their work and watch defensive linemen um, counteract that. I love the battle that goes on in the trenches, which is, you know, um, interesting for a guy who played the position that he played. But I just love that part of it. I love the strategy of it and what goes on there. How, with that said, trying to stay focused here, the uh, Miami Dolphins in particular um, have a very creative offense, and Tua has had many weeks where he's just picking defenses apart. Um, there's a lot of eye candy, especially pre-snap with the Dolphins, a lot of jet motion, a lot of orbit motion, a lot of things to trick your eyeballs as a defender. This does not stop after the ball is snapped. Guys running around and behind and through the middle of the defense, shallow crosses, um, you know, guys exiting through the A-gap and getting out on routes and guys motioning out towards the sidelines and then the middle of the field gets attacked. It's a whole lot to deal with. What I would do, and I'm really bringing this up because if I've got, you know, if I have some high school uh, coaches out here that are, you know, realize that they're either playing that a team like this because when something is successful at that top level in the NFL or colleges, of course you get it duplicated um, down in the lower levels. Some high school coach is going to start putting that stuff together, and you know if they have the proper know-how, uh, execution, and the players, they're bringing that to your league and your division, and it could cause you fit. So you're probably seeing that in some of these high schools down here, some version of uh, the Mike McDaniels or the Kyle Shanahan offense. And so this is the help that I will try and provide to you. A lot of times, as you know, you will see with the Miami Dolphins, you've got a quarterback in a system like this that doesn't have a cannon. And with all the stuff that you've got going on and around and just trying to figure out where guys are going to end up uh, after all of the motions and crisscrosses, it could be overwhelming for you. And if you are not stacked with talent, if you if if there is a evenness or a depth, or um, you know what's the word I'm looking for, you are there's a deficit in talent on your side defensively versus the guys that you're going up against in an offense that runs like that, where you can't just run man. And beat guys up like that. I would I would do what the Buffalo Bills did. And if you have an opportunity as a coach to take a look at it, that's one of those things that you're going to need to do. And I would say this to any of my coaches out there, uh, the college, high school level, whatever. When you see there's a new offense around that's capturing the league by storm and it's rolling up yards, blah, blah, blah. You have to start studying it because it's going to end up in your league. It's going to end up at your level, and someone's going to start running that. So you got to be preemptive and start looking at what they're doing. 
Furthermore, when a team slows that attack down, as the Bills did against the Dolphins, you better crack that tape open and watch it because it's coming to you at some point. And the Bills did exactly what I would have done as a defensive coordinator back when I was coaching if I went up against a defense like that. I am going to use, I'm first of all, I'm going to find out where they're limited. As it pertains to the Miami Dolphins, there's a limitation at the quarterback position in terms of throwing the ball down the field. So what I would do is what the Bills did, and that is play a lot of cover two. Cover two in its basic form is five underneath, two deep. Five underneath, two deep, and you force that quarterback with limited arm strength to make those long throws down the field. What's the kind of things that'll beat cover two? Four verts. You got to have an arm to fit that ball in the seam or to, you know, maybe hit that shot, you know, down the field, try and throw that ball outside beyond a safety that's already deep on the hash or try and hit that throw down the middle, which again, you know, is a throw down the field. I'd force him into those throws. Otherwise, if he wants to try and do the dink and dunks, I've got five guys sitting underneath. And again, I'm going to be physical against those wide receivers. They're going to get touched all the time. I'm not talking about that loose palms type of cover two where we're just out there in the flat and we let the number one receiver run up the field and we don't really get a hand on him. We kind of just tap him on the shoulder as he goes by to, you know, make our safety's life miserable and I wait for something to come in the flat. No, I'm talking about hardcore Back in the day, cover two, which is how I ran it, we're, in a, we're playing catch technique both in the slot and outside. We're sliding our feet, and that wide receiver is going to have to go around my corner, around my linebacker, around my nickelback, dime, whoever those guys are that are down low. We're getting jams on you for a couple of reasons. First, we want to make it physical. Second, we're trying to slow you down. Third, I would love for as many times as possible when that quarterback in a timing offense like this one reaches the top of his drop, he is going to see his receivers engaged with a defender. And now he's got a guess as to whether or not that receiver is going to dis be able to disengage and get separation and get to that, um, to that spot on the field where he needs to be. Delayed, of course, because of what we're doing in terms of jamming guys. He's got to make a guess. It's no longer just throwing to an area, throwing into a window, throwing to a spot. And offenses like this are extremely regimented in how they work together in terms of the quarterback's drop and then the routes. If you watch Tua run it, if you watch Brock Purdy running San Francisco's offense, it's one, two, three, release the football. One, two, three, four, five, drop that back foot on the fifth step, release the football. On that third step, on the quick game, or in that fifth step in the, in, you know, in the intermediate to deep game, I want when they look down the field for them to see a wide receiver, their potential primary target and their secondary target, engaged with a defender. That causes hesitation. It causes that hitch step now. It causes the step up in the pocket and, and then some hopeful throws. And when you have a guy that doesn't have a cannon, each one of those hitch steps, each time they avoid, and if they are delayed in releasing that football, you've got a better chance because now they've got to throw the ball further. They're throwing the ball to a spot that they don't anticipate that they had to throw it to, and now you're setting yourself up for a situation where you, as a defense, can make some plays. If you've got a great pass rush, that's awesome. Um, that's going to really work for you. The, the biggest beauty of cover two is having a pass rush where you can get to a quarterback with, with four guys. Falling short of that, um, if you've got a mobile, super mobile quarterback, somebody that could really hurt you, you, maybe you rush with three and you spy with that fourth guy. You could do that a little bit. On top of that, I know the concerns that you guys may have, and I coach, so I'm going to address some of those. If the team has a running attack, like the Dolphins do, especially when they've got Mostert and they've got a chain in there, um, these guys can they can hit you for 50, 60 yards. They can assault you um, in the run game. And so you don't want to show a seven-man box very often. 
You don't want to be light in that box, especially if they empty it out and they're in 10 personnel and they're two by two or they're in trips or anything like that. So now you're going to have to get into the disguise game if you don't feel like you can stop their run game with seven. So um, just like the Bills did, they had an awful lot of um, snaps where they disguised and they showed eight men at the line of scrimmage. And, um, you know, it didn't look like you would have some success running the ball there. And then right before the snap, they got up out of there and ended up in a two-shell. And they found themselves in a two-shell in many, many ways. Two corners deep, two safeties deep, which is traditional. One corner deep, one safety deep. And they, they did it in a multitude of ways. The only limitation is your mind. However, um, ultimately, you want to end up in that situation more times than not where you've got two guys deep. I even saw um, the Bills play Tampa 2 with three safeties. So they showed a three-safety look. This was, you know, obviously in an obvious passing situation. They showed a three-safety look, and that middle safety just kind of stayed there waiting for something to come his way while the other two safeties got their drop on a hash. He kind of just hung there in the middle. If you have a chance, crack open the video of the Bills versus the Dolphins, especially if there's a team in your league or coming up on your schedule that... um, runs that kind of offense and has some capabilities. But you've got to, um, you know, use the team's weakness against them. And, of course, you you know, you go to your strengths. You don't run a whole bunch of cover two right now, and that opponent is coming up down the road. You might want to start working on that a little bit and see if it's something you, you guys can execute. I know some defenses across the country uh, – kind of tough for you guys to run zone I've heard that from guys uh, because you know there's a lack of discipline or whatever the case may be I tend to call that a coaching problem sorry to all you guys out there that might be going through that and maybe feel insulted by what I said there but that is the truth you gotta start off with zones all right start off with teaching your zones getting guys to understand that part of the game because that's football uh, that's team and then you can go to your man stuff or it's more zoned with some man early on in your teaching phase in your spring or whenever you really are able to get together with your guys. And then you can kind of balance it up the way that you want. But you got to get that zone stuff in there early because it's going to be more difficult, especially for the younger guys. Between the discipline they need and the communication that they need to have between each other, it's going to be more of a task than teaching a guy, hey, this is your guy, you follow him around. That's easy. You could do that at, at, the, at the five-year-old level. All right, so that's how I would stop the Dolphins offense. Some version of two on many of my snaps where I stay five under, two deep, and see if that quarterback wants to try and fit the ball in Um, into five men underneath and potentially run into a mistake there or try and throw the ball way down the field where he feels even less confident if he's not a guy with with a cannon. And, you know, typically a guy with a cannon for an arm doesn't really run this offense the right way because he's constantly looking for those deep throws and it's not a really deep throw offense and he doesn't really want to go through all of the Uh, mechanical steps and the timing of it he'd much rather hold the ball sometimes and show off that arm sometimes you just got to use kids ego or coaches ego against them and so um, the Dolphins offense and the 49 the 49ers offense is really working because they have quarterbacks that don't have cannon arms and they know their limitations and they are going to work strictly within the confines of that offensive scheme And that's why a guy like Mike McDaniel loves uh, Tua. And that's why Kyle Shanahan loves a guy like Brock Purdy. And he was um, okay with, you know, separating himself from Trey Lance, who's now a Dallas Cowboy. All right, it's question time. It's listener question time. And I get this one from Kevin in Illinois. His question is, my coach has us bail a lot in cover one and cover three. He also has our back to the sidelines in cover three and cover four. This causes the wide receiver to get in my blind spot and I lose them sometimes. How can I avoid this? All right, let me just state this um, up front. I am not a favor of 
turning a kid's back to the sidelines. I've seen this uh, by several schools um, at the high school level. And, you know, coaches will tell me they like it because it puts the cornerback's eyes on his read right now, right away. That's the uh, reasoning that I get. He's looking right at two or three or the quarterback, whatever it is he has him reading. Well, listen, man, if you square a kid up and put his outside foot up, I don't know what's so hard with turning his head inside when his shoulders are squared and seeing his read. You know, a high school kid ought to be able to do that if he's worth a damn. But I digress because we're not going to change the um, defense at this point, I don't think. I think that's a losing battle. So if your coach, if that's the way that he wants it, and we've got to do what the coach says, what the defensive coordinator wants, what the uh, DB coach wants, if that's how he has it, then you're going to have to play the coverage for what it is and be prepared to give up certain things and you're going to have to really understand the coverage. So if we're talking about, let's just start with quarters. And this happens with, with guys in quarters coverage in high school. They still think they've got to defend more than they need to defend. I'm talking both as a coach and as a player here. If you're playing quarters and you're turned to that sideline, your job in quarters really as a cornerback is to defend the seven route, which is the corner, um, the eight route, which is a post, and the nine route, which is a takeoff. Your, those are your routes to defend. So if, you're, if your back is to the sidelines, you know, you want to stay over the top of those routes. And so the moment you start feeling that receiver attacking your blind spot, your back, you're going to want to widen with him. Don't overdo that, though, because receivers will fake widen you, plant their foot and break to the post. And if they've got more speed than you, it's going to be very hard to get them back. And it's going to be very difficult for you to make a play on a ball, especially in the situations where the wide receiver is running a big post, a super post, the one that ends up on the other hash mark. If you allow him to widen you too much, he plants and starts breaking inside of you. It's it's hell. It's the worst thing in the world for a corner to deal with, to be chasing that receiver on the post and the ball is thrown damn near to the other side of the field. I don't care how fast you are. It's very difficult to get to that place. So be gener- don't be too generous in how much you widen yourself. All right? Be prepared for the fact that that wide receiver may eventually end up behind your back. However, you widen in a way that you may trap him into the sideline. You're not trying to beat him to the sideline when you widen. So in other words, he's widening. You're not necessarily going hell-bent to try and keep him in your field of view. You're widening some, essentially trying to keep him in your view, but if he is going really hard to get to your back, well, then you're just going to squeeze him into the sidelines. And the second thing is you are turned sideways to have uh, your eyes on your read. So if the number two wide receiver is your read in quarters, and he goes inside uh, right away, or he goes inside on a dig, and you know that safety has got him, or he goes out right away, and you know that linebacker's taking him, and this is why you need to know everyone's job in a coverage. You can now turn your eyes to that wide receiver that's trying to get in your blind spot. You can either turn your head and look at him as you're in your crossover run, Or if he's gotten way into your blind spot, you can flip your head around to the other side and find that guy and cover him there. The deep comeback route is not really your responsibility. I know it really sucks to have a guy catch a 12-yard out in quarters. It sucks for him to catch a 15-yard out in quarters. But you've got to remind yourself that your job is to cover the 7, 8, and 9 route. And if the offense continues to run 12 and 15-yard outs and they're completing them and your coach stays in that coverage, well, at some point he's got to bite the bullet and say, hey, you know, I'm not making the best calls here. Maybe I need to change some things up. But if you're going to survive out there and the the whole basis of quarters is to try and not give up the big play, you got to do that. In cover three, you got to know where your help is. Do you have help in that flat? Do you have help in the curl? And that's going to help you with how it is you are playing um, in that bail or, you know, being turned sideways. You've got to understand 
what the linebacker or the nickelback inside of you is doing, what he has. Does he have the deep curl route? Or is it one of these match cover threes where, you know, if the number two receiver goes out or goes in, you're now matched up man-to-man on number one. That's going to determine what you do. But the whole technique is kind of the same that you would do in cover four. Your turn, your running, if that receiver is attacking your back, you start to widen with him. Don't overdo it. Um, although you do have the liberty to widen a little bit more in cover three because there should be a post safety if the receiver decides to break to the post. However, you don't want to widen too much and you get hit with one of those skinny posts right in the seam um, or you know some kind of a bang eight, and you guys can look that up, but that's essentially a skinny post where the receiver widens you a little bit, plants his foot, and gets right in that seam, and the quarterback throws him a bullet. If you widen too much, you'll give up that route too, and that's going to uh, drive you and your coach crazy. So you want to be um, cautious in your widening. Make sure that he is committing himself to going behind you, in which case there's only really two routes that he's going to be able to run at that point, um, which is a comeback and a go route. And depending on what kind of cover three you guys are running, if it's a match cover three, you can spin your head around and find that guy on the other side, if you know what I mean. Um, You can go from turning your head, uh, having your head inside, looking at the whole field to flipping your head around to find that receiver in your blind spot. Um, Or you just widen, you widen a little bit more and try to trap him to that sideline while you keep your eyes inside um, on the quarterback the whole time and possibly see the ball thrown. This is probably going to require some kind of post-practice work. So if you're struggling with it, you want to keep a receiver or maybe even another defensive back after practice, and you guys work this for about 10 or 15 minutes. If this is the primary way that you guys run your coverage, man, you're going to have to put the extra work into it, Kevin, uh, to make sure that you're running this right. If this is what you do the majority of the game. It's you know incumbent upon you, if I could use that word, it's important for you to nail down that technique. So practice what it is that I'm talking about. Now, if your coach has you bailing in cover one, Uh, I'm assuming that uh, in your cover one, certain routes you would not be manned up on. So something like a shallow cross or quick slant or something like that, you have the liberty of letting it go. I'm going to assume that if your coach has you um, showing a press look and bailing out of there. There's no way he could expect you to do that. That's the case, Kevin. Hit me up via email, cwilson at alleyesdbcamp.com, and we could talk a little bit more about that. So that's my answer to that question. I hope that helped you, Kevin as well as anyone else listening to this that might be in a similar situation. If you do have a question, a defensive back question, coverage question, scheme, technique question, anything like that, go ahead and email the show, cwilson at alleyesdbcamp.com. Again, that's cwilson at alleyesdbcamp.com. Our question is sponsored by 101 DB Tips. Yes, that is my book that I have compiled With 20 and 30 years of playing and coaching experience, I've been blessed to have been coached by a couple of Hall of Famers at this position, blessed to have coached some guys um, that are at the top of their game, All-Americans, several and many guys playing in the league right now and happy to be currently training a bunch of guys in the league. So there's a lot that uh, I have said over the years over and over, and I put it all in a book. And if you are a defensive back, a coach, defensive backs, trained defensive backs, you got to have this in your stable. If you're a guy that has books on defense and you coach the secondary, you can't not have this book. So it's 101 DB Tips. You can go to 101dbtips.com, 101dbtips.com. It's available as an ebook as well as a soft cover book. Um, look out for that depending on what it is that you like. So I've got it in both versions now. could get that out to you right away, but it's definitely something that you need to have. All right, moving on to our main topic here. It is five skills that make you an All-American defensive back. And I'm going to just jump right into it because these things have, like I said, gone through the test of time. And... Um, you know, there may be some debates on this. I don't think they're debatable. 
Um, you know, like I said, I've got 30 years of experience coaching, playing this game, and it's just been consistent over that time what I've seen out of guys who've hit the top of their game who are were considered All-Americans or made it all the way to the NFL or, you know, ended up with a gold jacket, uh, Pro Bowls, all that good stuff. All of the things have been the same. So the first thing is ball skills. The name of the game on defense is definitely creating turnovers. Um, if you don't have the ball, if the offense doesn't have the ball, they can't score. The best way for them not to have the ball is to take it away from them. So all of the greats that I have ever seen, coached, played with, played against, um, have a knack for getting interceptions when they have the opportunities. The NFL Hall of Famers are guys who were able to rack up some interceptions. Other Hall of Famers who were known as cover guys that didn't have a high amount of interceptions, didn't have them because yeah, typically teams avoided them. The Darrell Revises, the Deion Sanderses of the world, although Deion um, you know, racked up 53 career interceptions. When they did throw at them, many times they turned those things into interceptions. You have to practice catching the football. It's If it's not a part of your regular team practice routine, then you got to work on it before or after practice. When the ball comes your way and you get your hands on it, you have to catch it. Practice catching the ball to develop your All-American hands. The second thing, which I could easily have made probably the first thing, is instincts. Virtually all of the great defensive backs had great instincts. You cannot move fast on the football field if you're surprised by everything that's happening in front of you. If you study the game enough, you kind of just get an idea of what is about to happen. Instincts are developed through constant study. I'm not just talking about only studying the teams that you're about to play. You know, a lot of guys do that. I'm talking about in your free time, just watch football. Take a look at offenses and how they attack defenses. Over time, you'll build up an understanding that takes over on the field without you having to think about it. You develop what's kind of known of as a sixth sense about how offenses work simply because you've watched so many of them. Study the game to develop your all-American instincts. Third is mental toughness. And we already know you have to be tough to play the game of football. That's a given. You also have to be mentally tough to play defensive back. Everything a defensive back does on the field is magnified. You miss a tackle, and it's a big play. You fall behind a wide receiver, and it's a big play. You miss a jam at the line of scrimmage in the red zone, and it's probably a touchdown. When disaster strikes, the All-Americans have the mental toughness to remain confident, move on to the next play, and hurt the offense the next time they think that they can come after them. All-American DPs see a failure on their part as an opportunity to make a play the next time because the offense will try it again. They, if they found luck on your side, they will try their luck again. It's just how offenses work. That's how quarterbacks work. That's how offensive coordinators work. And that's really the only way for you to look at it. If you, if you win all the time, quarterbacks will just avoid you, and uh, you won't even have to shower after a game. Now, you lose a rep, and your mental toughness should say, great, now I'll have a chance to make a play because they're going to come over here again. Mental toughness is an ingredient all the great ones have. So be aware of how you think during the pressure situations so you can possess all-American mental toughness. Number four is technique. As you move from level to level in the game of football, you'll realize that you need to be a good athlete. But being a good athlete will not be enough. There's a right way and a wrong way to do everything in life, and that certainly includes the game of football. Now, few positions on the field are as technical as defensive back. The position is comprised of a ton of natural, unnatural moves um, being repeated over and over, like backpedaling. How often do you backpedal when you're not playing defensive back? We don't backpedal to the bathroom, through the mall, or in our friend's house. Being good at covering wide receivers when we don't know where they are going requires that our technique be on point. Even a guy like Deion Sanders was a stickler for technique. He knew that running a 4-2-140 was not going to be good enough. So if someone as gifted as primetime needed technique to cover the best wide receivers in the game, guess what you need to do? Once you're taught technique by your coach or your trainer, be obsessed with perfecting it. Study it, practice it, and apply it in competition to acquire All-American technique. And finally, you probably could have guessed this, it's work ethic. I have a saying, and it is, success is not an accident. 
You can have all the God-given ability in the world, but if you're not willing to work hard at all of the things I've discussed in this podcast today and on this topic, it's only a matter of time before you become mediocre or fail and you don't make it to that next level. All of the great ones become great because they knew the extra time was needed to be better than the next guy. If you say you love football and playing defensive back, then you have to want to show it by working harder and smarter than the next man. You won't become an All-American sitting on the couch or swiping through social media all day long. Get out and do what the other man won't do so you can possess All-American work ethic. Outwork the next guy. Now, guys, DBs come in all shapes and sizes. Being big and being fast will definitely get you more opportunities, but that's all it's going to get you. Whether you possess all the physical attributes that coaches and fans want to see or not, going hard to develop the traits I just spoke about will take you very far in the game and at this position. Start applying what you learned right here in this podcast today and watch how you flourish and watch you start moving towards being an All-American. All right. Hope you guys enjoyed that. I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast today. And uh, again, before you guys leave up out of here, make sure you hit subscribe on whatever platform you are using to stream this right now. Enjoy having you guys check in with me every week. Again, if you want to reach out to the show, you want to ask me a question or you have uh, any comments at all about the uh, podcast today, you can reach me via email cwilson at alleyesdbcamp.com. And of course, um, grab your copy of 101 DB Tips, the book, soft cover ebook e- edition. Again, guys, if you're a DB, if you're a parent of a defensive back, if you're a coach of defensive back, trainer, if you're related to DBs at all, you got to have a copy of this book. So head over to 101dbtips.com. Again, 101dbtips.com and pick up your copy. All right, that's it for me, folks. Until next time, All Eyes DB Camp, consistency breeds results.